You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The exciting offseason that is the 2020 Bengals offseason rolls on, and we are here covering it. Even after the draft, we're here to give you all the Cincinnati Bengals coverage here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast on SB Nation's Bengals podcast channel. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by a very dapper John Sheeran in a uh, personalized jersey there, rocking the personalized jersey, John. How you doing? You, you feeling good about coming off this weekend? We had a lot of work to do. The team had a lot of work to do. I, I'm feeling pretty good about things. I mean, there's there wouldn't be any other reason why I was wearing a jersey if I wasn't feeling good about oh, this good weekend. Point. Yeah. So I, I think I read that it was like some form of a, a holiday jersey day, but I think National Jersey Day, I just looked it up. It's like really? the first day of November. So I, I, I must have been fed false information. Regardless, I'm surprised this thing still even fits. I got it when I was like 11. And I took it to training camp one year, and I got a bunch of players to sign, like, Did you? a number or whatever. The, the only part of it that's white. Uh, like, I can turn around for the people yeah, that are watching. Yeah, that's good. Let's see it. Who you got on there? Who you got on there? Oh, man. It's like Michael Johnson, maybe, like, Kevin Huber or something. I It was so long ago. It was, like, late 2000s. But, was it, was it mean, 08? <laughs> well, it wasn't 08. Uh, was there, but. No. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm the second greatest number eight in Bengals history behind Jeff Blake, so. I like it. I like it. Well, good. Yeah. You're rocking it, and we're all feeling pretty good about what the Bengals did. There is some some points of debate. There are some points of debate to be talked about, both on this show and just in general amongst the fan base about what the team has done in the NFL draft, what they did in free agency, what the outlook is of the team going forward as soon as 2020. You know, a lot of people are talking about, hey, the windows the window opens in 21. That may be the case, but we're going to talk about the viability of the team in 2020 based on what has occurred over the past couple of months. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some – Some. we're going to dive into a little bit of metrics and analytics. John has uh, been putting out an opinion on a particular draft selection by the Cincinnati Bengals, and he's got a good opinion, a good stance on that, and he and I are going to engage in a little bit of back and forth on that. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. But let's recap, John. The Cincinnati Bengals draft class is complete. They made seven selections. Surprisingly, before we bring up all the selections, how surprised are you that they weren't able to swing a trade? They weren't able to uh, maneuver, or maybe they didn't want to, uh, and they only ended up with the seven picks that they, they ended. They sat exactly where they where they were placed going into the weekend. I'm surprised we didn't see a trade at the beginning of day three. I think um, Jeff Hobson of, of Bengals.com reported or wrote that. They had offers to trade down from the second round, and there were a couple of reports saying that they were definitely interested in doing that. I think at the end of the day, they heard offers, but 
knowing that the player that they took in the top of the second round, T. Higgins, was there. They declined those offers and just weren't interested or as interested to trade down compared to what the offers that they got. So I'm not surprised, considering what we know about the T. Higgins selection, I'm not surprised that they didn't trade down for the top of the second round. I am surprised, I think, a little bit that they doing that they didn't do it at the top of the fourth round because that was the other spot that we thought they were going to get a lot of calls about. Um, but, you know, we, we heard from Zach Taylor and Duke Tobin saying that we're not going to we're not going to force the, the the perceived need to trade down and acquire extra picks if we like a player that we that we were able to draft. And, you know, we knew that we, they weren't going to end up with less than seven picks. It was just a matter of if they are going to take that opportunity to accumulate a couple more. So I, if anything, I'm a little surprised they didn't trade down the fourth round. Yeah, I didn't think there was going to be much movement uh, in on the first two nights. I, I thought they would stand pat, and we talked about this quite a bit, that you know, when you're sitting at the top of round two, you're sitting with the first pick in round three, chances are you're going to get a player and a talent that is, uh, you know, very, very talented and, and one could consider, you know, a talent that should have been taken in the in the previous round. So uh, I, I was surprised, like you, on day three that more trades weren't done. Maybe an Andy Dalton deal wasn't done. Maybe even some of these fringe roster guys or former high picks from the previous regime that have been disappointing weren't dealt. I bet I was a little disappointed and I don't know disappointed, but surprised about that. I think had they been able to get one more pick, even in the fourth or fifth round, there probably would have been an additional offensive lineman, I would have thought, uh, to be added to this class. But as it stands, here here are your picks. And by the way, for those of you watching us live, I am sharing John's great breakdown, the grades. Uh, we're not going to really do our grades. We, we said that a little bit on the wrap-up show that we did last Saturday. You, had, you got kind of some early grades from myself, John, and Matt Minnick. Um, so here you got Joe Burrow, obviously, round one, pick one. T. Higgins, pick number 33 in round two. You got Logan Wilson, the uh, the linebacker um, at at uh, sixty five. You got Akeem Davis Gaither at one hundred seven, the fourth round pick, the linebacker there. You got Khalid Kareem, an edge rusher, uh, at number one forty seven. By the way, if you do subscribe to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel, which I don't know why you would not. Our friends Ace Boogie and Zim Hude will be having an interview with Khalid Kareem, I believe, tomorrow, John. Isn't that what they informed mm -hmm. us of? So, uh, I believe it's going to Friday. Friday. You're right. You're right. It was Friday. Yeah. They tried to schedule Thursday, but I think they're doing it Friday. So we will be streaming that, I believe, live on CincyJungle.com. And that interview will be up on our podcast channel. So check that out. Khalid Kareem going to be joining the Cincy Jungle podcast channel there. Uh, so he was the pick at number 147. Round six, the only offensive lineman the Bengals selected, and one that a lot of people are high on, Hakeem Adeniji, the tackle guard from Kansas. And then, of course, round seven, they they finish the class with Marcus Bailey, the linebacker out of Purdue. So really, really went heavy at linebacker, John. Um, are, are you surprised that they – use three picks at one basically one position group of only having seven picks I, I i think that that was at least a little bit surprising but maybe not a total shock because the team that i mean going into the weekend we knew that was their biggest positional weakness i'll say this the the, the 
the three that they took, Wilson, Davis, Gaither, and Bailey, I think you could have made the easy argument that if they weren't the very best player available, they were amongst the best players available when they when they drafted him. So I, like Lou Anarumo, the defense coordinator, said in his post-draft press conference, it was the plan to have three linebackers. That's something that every coach or GM will say after after the draft if they're asked a question like this. They'll always give you the generic trope about best player available. But I truly believe that those three players were at the top of their board when you know they, they came to draft them. So the, the fact that they only took or signed Josh Bynes in free agency, I, I think, made the need a little bit more pressing coming into the draft. And they certainly didn't mind adding three more linebackers because that's at least half, if not more than half, of the linebackers that you're going to carry on the final roster. And I think all three of them are promising in their own way. And I think all three of them fit or could be better than where or they, they could outplay uh, their draft status of where they were drafted. So am I surprised? Not entirely because of how inactive they were at that position in free agency, because that's just how free agency happened to play out with them. But also yeah. the fact that they were really good players for where they were drafted. So it's not like they really forced the need if they took players who fit the bill for for where they were in the draft at that point. So those are the seven picks that the Cincinnati Bengals made in the NFL draft. We're going to get to the undrafted free agents in a sec, and then we're going to talk about where the strengths and weaknesses of the team reside after free agency and now the draft. Before we get there, John, like I mentioned, here are the undrafted free agents. I'm sharing this courtesy of CincyJungle.com. You have defensive uh, tackle Tyler Clark, an interesting guy out of Georgia. They love those Georgia kids. Uh, off Interior offensive lineman Clay Cordasco from Oregon State. Defensive lineman Trey Deshaun from Kansas State. Defensive end Kendrell Futrell, who's kind of an, an edge type of guy, uh, outside linebackerish type of player from East Carolina. Offensive tackle Josh, Josh Nipfel uh, out of Iowa State. Linebacker Marcus Spears Jr., who I believe, or Marcel Spears Jr., excuse me, uh, again from Iowa State. Uh Cornerback Isaiah Swan out of Dartmouth. Wide receiver Scotty Washington, really intriguing player here out of Wake Forest. 6'5", 217, so a little bit in that Adam Tate mode, a mold. Uh, so Scotty Washington out of Wake Forest, another guy. Devois Whaley out of Arkansas, a running back. And Mitchell Wilcox, a pass-catching tight end out of South Florida. Any of those names particularly intrigue you, John? The the guy that I uh, had to write on the on the, on the site, Isaiah Swan, I think is his name. He's a cornerback at a Dartmouth or Dartmouth, excuse me. Um, he went to the East West Shrine Bowl, and I think he was able to get an unofficial pro day in, and he ran like a four four flat at five mm-hmm. eleven, one hundred ninety pounds. And I think he had seventeen career interceptions um, at a, at his school, which is a school record. Four of them were pick sixes. I just think looking at the roster right now. Um, the battle for the final cornerback spot, whether it be the sixth cornerback spot or the seventh. I think it's going to be one of the best battles on the team. And I don't, I don't know if, if a guy like Winston Rose or Tony Brown or Torrey McTire or Greg Maven necessarily have a leg up on a guy like Swan who has the ball skills that he has and obviously has the playmaking ability and the athleticism that he has. Um, Clark, the defensive tackle of Georgia, I think is the only guy who could have realistically been drafted. So he might be the most talented or the most NFL ready out of those, out of those guys. But I think Swan is an interesting guy to look at. The, um, the, Clay Cordasco, the guy from Oregon State, the blocker, um, friend of the program, Ryan Patrick, who is one of my go-tos for offensive line evaluations. He watched some tape on him after he signed, and he liked him a lot better than the Iowa State offensive lineman that they signed. He think he has some movement ability, a guy with positional versatility on the inside. 
there's there's going to be some conversations about how many offensive linemen they keep, whether you know he can knock off Alex Redmond might be the big question. So those three intrigue me the most, and I think they're they play positions that are going to have interesting competition at the bottom of the depth chart. But I think they all bring um, something that the, the person that they could be knocking off the roster currently doesn't have. Personally speaking, Scotty Washington intrigues me, John. There's a lot of, there has been a lot of talk and really partially from myself that we thought a lot of elements from the Sean McVay and the Rams offense would be translating over with Zach Taylor to the Bengals offense. And yeah, you're seeing quite a bit of that, but the one thing that's that's interesting to me, for for the past couple of years now, Brandon Cooks has moved on. Uh, they shipped him away, but really their two go-to guys were either sub or right around six feet tall in terms of their wide receiver group. Um, not overly large guys. They had a couple of guys. Josh Reynolds has some good size. Cooper Cup's decent size, but. You look at now what they're doing with the Bengals and Joe Burrow. You've got AJ Green six foot four. You bring in T Higgins six three six four. You've got uh, you know Tyler Boyd's a little over six feet. You've got you still got John Ross. I think they're trying to carve out a, a neat role for for Auden Tate this year and mm-hmm. his six foot five frame. You've got another six foot five receiver here in Scotty Washington. I think the thing is, John, we said this a couple of times on the on the post the night wrap-ups in the draft, they want guys that can get up and get the ball, that can out-muscle guys, and they want to score in the red zone. So they want big-bodied guys. So Scotty Washington may be a little bit of a project, but at 6'5", 217, you know, there's there's a mold there that they like, and they're, they're probably trying to find ways to have these big-bodied wide receivers – muscle their way around, especially in the AFC North. They play physical corners in the AFC North, uh, and and they play them throughout, you know, a third of their schedule. So I I think that the Bengals are are really kind of doing a little something different in terms of their wide receiver makeup and the the player profiles they're bringing in uh, for the most part at that position group. I don't know if Scotty Washington, and this is kind of where I'm going next, I don't know that Scotty Washington has the best shot to make the roster. Usually there's one or two guys that are undrafted free agents that end up becoming preseason heroes, John, and they sneak onto the roster or they explode onto the roster. You look at Damian Willis. He was the guy last year. You go back to uh, touchdown Jesus, right, as he was coined by uh, – Humor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can go back to, gosh, Tom Nelson, Quan Cosby. I mean – you can go back to a lot. I mean, Alex Erickson was a guy a few years ago that did that was an undrafted guy that came on and because of his return ability and his ability as a wide receiver made the team. So there, there usually is one guy that can, can make the team and carve out a little niche for himself. Even if it is just special teams early on, who do you see is, is, are you sticking with Swan as the guy that you think may have an inside track potentially at cracking the roster as an undrafted free agent, or do you think that what the Bengals did in free agency and those high-profile names they brought in in the secondary may crowd that position group too much for him? It's going to depend on health. Um, the reason why Damian Willis had such a great opportunity last year is because AJ Green was hurt and there was an opening there in the starting lineup, and he just happened to ball out with Ryan Finley in the preseason. Scott. Scotty Washington has the best number on the team, number eight, so that might give him an edge. Um, but yeah, it's like like right like right now they have like twelve receivers, and there's not going to be an opening unless somebody gets hurt. You have to think that 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 sixth and seventh spot at right now goes to Alex Erickson and Stanley Morgan 
or maybe even Damian Willis. So the, the chance of the Washington getting in there are really slim unless more injuries happen, which is possible. AJ Green is still injury prone, and so is John Ross. Um, if not Swan, who was the guy I mentioned, or Cordasco, I think Kendall uh, Futrell, the edge rusher from ECU, has a decent chance, or just has maybe an outside chance. He's a little undersized for being a pass rusher. I think he's only 220 pounds, and I think you can either list him as a linebacker or a, or a defensive end. I think the roster right now has him listed as an edge rusher. And and besides uh, Khalid Kareem, they didn't really address the position in the offseason that much. They only have like six or seven if you want to include Andrew Brown. So, yeah, just looking at where the depth chart is now, he'll have a chance to earn some snaps in the third team. And if he can make some noise, yeah, maybe he can push his way up, be a practice squad guy, and have an opportunity if an injury occurs. So that's another guy to look out for. Mitchell Wilcox intrigues me. The, the, if you look at the position group, yeah, the Bengals don't prioritize, or Zach Taylor is kind of making it clear he's not really prioritizing the tight end position necessarily in the offense. They kept C.J. Uzama. They let Tyler Eifert walk. They didn't do much to address the position in free agency or the draft. Wilcox has shown an ability to be able to catch. He needs some work, uh, from what I understand, with some inline blocking stuff. And he kind of was had a little bit of a tapering off in production, but he's, he caught a, a handful of touchdowns his past few years at South Florida. He's got decent size at 6'4", 247. Could be a little niche player and a guy that, you know, will be competing with Mason Shrek, Ethan Carter, Drew Sample. Uh, you know, I think I think the Bengals are probably ready to have to elevate Drew Sample to a higher role this year uh, because Eifert is gone. But you know, they didn't really add anyone, like I mentioned, in the draft or free agency. So that could pave the way for a guy like Wilcox to make the team, maybe be a situational guy, and maybe beat out some of these guys who were on the team prior to Zach Taylor coming on board. So Wilcox is a guy that kind of intrigues me along with, with Scotty Washington as an undrafted free agent. What do you think about immediate impact guys that, that are in the draft class? We're going to be talking about one specifically a little later on. I think obviously Joe Burrow, because he's going to be your starting quarterback, he's going to have be it's kind of like we, we engage in these discussions and it's like, well, of course, Joe Burrow, but let's, let's move that one aside because he's going to be your starting quarterback. But of, of T Higgins, of Logan Wilson, Akeem Davis Gaither, uh, Khalid Kareem, Hakeem Adeniji, and uh, Marcus Bailey. Who do you, who do you see kind of right away coming in and kind of, saying, hey, I'm starting or I'm a heavy rotational player and I'm contributing on a, on a really, really high level for this team? I think if you say anybody aside from Kareem and Adenogy, I could see it. Um, the thing with those two is that it, it just doesn't seem like there's an opening for Adenogy on the offensive line. I think they're pretty entrenched with the idea of going into training camp with Suofilo starting at right guard, Michael Jordan starting at left guard, and having right tackle be between – uh, Fred Johnson, Bobby Hart, with maybe Fred Johnson having the edge before things get going, and then with with Kareem, it's just like, yeah, he can, yeah, he can see the field on a rotational basis, but he just doesn't bring the same, you know, burst as the other guys that they have at that position. With the linebackers, I think anything can be open. I think they're okay with the idea of buying starting next to Pratt when you're in your base, but all three of those guys are talented. All three of those guys bring exactly what they were looking for. With Bailey, it's a matter of health. It might not be a matter of opportunity because he does have an opportunity to do something at a position so weak on this roster. So we have Wilson, who's Wilson and Bailey, who are your traditional stack three down, you know, pursuit guys. 
or off ball guys who can take on blocks. And then Davis Gaither, who can carve out a role as a guy on the line of scrimmage, as a guy who can drop back as a traditional three, four outside linebacker. But he also does a lot of good things in coverage and in space too. So there's opportunities for those guys to get in sub packages and produce early. And if one guy, I guess, has to be like the, the best opportunity or the best chance to challenge maybe Bynes for that role as a starter, it's probably Logan Wilson's the guy they drafted first. It's the guy like they feel comfortable doing basically everything from blitzing to being in coverage to being a run defender. It's the guy that they would probably trust more than anybody. He's older than those two guys. He was arguably more productive um, when we're just looking at their their basic stats. Whatnot. He was a former defensive back, so he would naturally trust him in coverage. And I think if you go into these dime sets where you only have one linebacker on the field, I think right now Wilson's probably the guy that you trust more than anybody else. Mm. I think you can trust him more in space than Jermaine Pratt. I think you like him in coverage more than Bynes. But you also like the fact that, you know, if they run – in those light boxes, he can take on a block if need to. Obviously, Higgins has like a definite opportunity as well as a potential starter. But if you want to look at you know a guy besides Higgins, I think it's probably Logan Wilson. Hard to disagree. I guess I'd say just because impact plays. I saw something on Twitter today. I forget who it was that, that put it out. But someone had mentioned that this player may be pen- penciled in as a starter and that's T. Higgins, a wide receiver. He could be the other outside mm-hmm. option with with A.J. Green. You got Tyler Boyd in the slot, and then you can move around John Ross. Um, you know, I, I think there may be a little bit of a – because he is younger, because we don't know what the offseason is going to hold in terms of camps and practices, and be, Joe Burrow being able to continuously throw and work on a chemistry with a rookie wide receiver there. And I, I am tentative about rookie wide receivers sometimes having – high impacts, especially in a crowded position group. But I just think in terms of potential wow plays, if if what we're hearing is true, that T. Higgins could be on the other starting outside wide receiver, they drafted him because of a specific skill set that suits Joe Burrow's play style. Um, and they drafted him to be able to be a guy that can win jump balls, contested passes, that sort of thing. So I think that I think that T. Higgins could be the guy that immediately, and maybe that's a softball answer by me because he is a second-round pick and, and potential first-round talent, but I, I just see it being a case of a guy coming in and, and making those wild plays, even if it's you know 30 catches, 40 catches as a rookie. Um, you know He could have that, if you remember back, the, the, almost the Chris Henry effect, different kind of player, mm-hmm. but – your third receiver, your fourth receiver, and somehow anytime you throw him the ball, there's just a big play that happens. Same thing with Kelly Washington years and years ago. It's kind of the same deal. Your third option, your fourth option at wide receiver, but a guy somehow that just makes big plays. And that's that's kind of where I see T. Higgins maybe carving out an early role with this team is kind of that big play guy early on. I mentioned this before, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, but those Clemson wide receivers, they know how to get downfield. They know how to beat out a cornerback to a, a a ball and make a catch. You know, Higgins is no different. Mike Williams, Sammy Watkins, uh, New Hopkins. I mean, all these guys, that was part of their pedigree when they came out into the draft and what was liked about them. No different with T. Higgins. So I say that's probably my answer. Tough to disagree with you at the linebacker spot, though, because – Coming into that weekend, as we mentioned, it was such a uh, <laughs> a dry well in terms of talent that, that they had there. But uh, so you you do think Wilson over uh, over Davis Gaither, and uh, I mean Bailey's got the injury stuff we got to worry about. So does Davis Gaither. But you think Wilson's probably 
that guy for you. Yeah, and like you said, Davis Gaither has maybe even more concerning injury issues than mm. Marcus Bailey at this point. Because like Marcus Bailey, it, it, torn ACL on both of his knees uh, about forty games apart. I think Matt uh, minute Matt Minich, uh, did, did the math there. So it, it's not the same ACL. I think it's the same thing with Rodney Anderson, where it's just like just freak accidents or whatever. The thing with Davis Gaither is that he essentially has arthritis in his knee. It's a bone-on-bone injury. It's the same thing that uh, Sony Michelle had a couple years ago. Some guys can play with it and be fine. Some guys, it, it's just degenerative and just ends up hurting them in the long run. So maybe the Bengals take him on a little bit slowly, put him on special teams more often than not, maybe only play him 10 to 15 snaps on defense. It just seems like for him, for you know what they know about him and what they think he can do, it's probably tougher for him to get significant, significant snaps out of the gate unless an opportunity pops up. And like in when, when you talk about Higgins, like at this point, you still can't really count on AJ Green or John Ross to be healthy. And at that point, you just have Tyler Boyd and Odd Tate as guys you can trust. Still need three, three wide receivers on the field. Higgins is that next guy up. Even if right now he's not more than maybe third or fourth on, on your depth chart, this is still an offense that's going to feature three, four wide receivers on the field for most of the game. And Higgins is going to have his opportunities, especially if injuries occur, uh, occur up front. Well, that's, that puts a bow a little bit on the Bengals 2020 draft class. Cincinnati Bengals made seven selections and brought in another 10 undrafted free agents. So we'll see how everything shakes out in terms of who will contribute where and at what levels. But pretty exciting draft class all in all. If you saw and read the great write-up that John did on CincyJungle.com, Gave the class, I believe, an A minus. Correct, John, uh, in terms of the picks that they made that that weekend. So, you are one of many that gave the team pretty high high marks, right? There's a there are a lot of different outlets that kind of had them in that high B, low A range. At the end of the day, I just can't look at this draft and say that they messed up anywhere. I, I didn't. I couldn't say the same last year with Drew Sample. I couldn't say the same with Billy Price. Couldn't say the same in 2015 with Cedric Wade. Those were things. I think most people knew were just mess ups when they, when they first happened. With this one, it was just solid player after solid player after solid player. Um, I mean, they filled needs or they dressed needs, but they, they didn't reach to do it. And they're, they're just guys that you can count on reaching their ceiling, whatever ceiling that may be. And then with seven picks, I, I think it was about as good as you could have expected. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, you could make some arguments here and there about different players, but. Good value, positional needs met, and you got your franchise quarterback and you got him a, a, a weapon there. So, uh, and maybe a little protection, even though those like late day three, you got him a little help up front. So, uh, some different arguments could be made, but, uh, you know, I, I think overall, pretty good draft class. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the SB Nation Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. Happy to be talking Bengals football with you once again. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Talking some more draft, kind of putting a bow on the draft coverage. By the way, all of our draft coverage was brought to us by New Era Cap. So go, if you have not for some reason, get yourself a New Era Cap, some of the draft gear. Um, go get some Bengals draft gear. Joe Burrow's got got gear out now for the Bengals. Go get yourself some some gear. It's been You probably have been saving some money because you've been upset the past couple of years about how the Bengals have been playing. You had an exciting offseason. Go get yourself some New Era gear. Go get yourself some Bengals gear wherever it's sold. So appreciate New Era and their continued support of this program. You can continue to get the program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, 
You can get it on our YouTube channel. All of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com along with Chalk Talk episodes by Matt Minnick and Orange is the New Black by Ace Boogie and Zim Hude, as we mentioned earlier. Those two guys will be interviewing Khalid Kareem, the new Bengals edge player that they drafted in the fifth round. That'll be coming out later this week. So check that out live if you're able, or it'll be on cincyjungle.com as well. We appreciate all the support, and uh, it's been an, an incredible past couple of months, really, for our program, and it's been fun for us. to. It's been a lot of work, but it's been fun for us to cover a lot of the stuff that's been happening with the Cincinnati Bengals, both in free agency and the draft. So we appreciate you sticking with us and downloading the program, however you may listen to it. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Where are we at now with the Bengals roster, John? The Cincinnati Bengals, as we've kind of mentioned almost ad nauseum now, have done quite a bit of work in, in free agency in the draft. And I think now, you know, we've, we could talk about the grades and what they did and players. And I, I kind of want to look at the, the roster more holistically now. Coming into this weekend, we, we mentioned that the linebacker group was a major area of weakness. Offensive line was another area that was of concern. Uh, If they didn't, for some reason, draft Joe Burrow number one overall or quarterback in the first round, quarterback would have been (laughs) an area of weakness, but they did. So how do you make this make sense of this roster with this crop of free agents, this crop of draft picks, and just how much did they improve themselves from the two-win season that we saw just a few short months ago? Like you, you can be a pessimist, you can be an optimist, whatever. You look at this roster right now, you don't see a lot of glaring needs. And that's, I mean, for a team that was 2-14 just a year ago, that's that's only good news. I think right now, like, the biggest area of concern, the two biggest, two biggest areas of concern, one being bigger than the other, offensive line for starters. It's just a lot of question marks. It's a lot of faith and banking on hope of guys developing all at once. And it's kind of what we saw for a couple of position groups in the years past. And like, like it was back then, if you put too much hope and just multiple guys, you know, developing the way that you want to at the same time, you're going to get disappointed more times than not. So, I mean, yes, they, they signed a right guard in Suofield. Yes, they, they feel like they have a guy in Fred Johnson at right tackle. But at the end of the day, they could have done more there. So right now, that's obviously the biggest that's obviously the biggest glaring need or red flag on this roster. But other than that. Like you have long-term questions about edge rusher. You have long-term questions about cornerback. You may even have long-term questions about wide receiver. But I think th- some of these weaknesses that, that they had earlier, like defensive tackle or maybe even linebacker or t- tight end, like some issues ha- have gone away with free agency, I think, with, with the signings of Reader and Bell. And uh, e- e- even if they don't have a great tight end on this roster, I think some issues on offense – only get better when you have a quarterback that isn't a liability. If you if your quarterback becomes an asset from a liability, 
then some of those issues on offense, they kind of just dissipate. And, and even if you don't have a dominant defense that is able to keep teams under 20 points, if you have a quarterback that you're confident that can score multiple touchdowns a game, that, that alleviates a lot of pressure off your defense being perfect. So in, in terms of glaring needs, I, I, obviously the offense line is, is, is a need until it isn't, until these guys develop, if, if they develop like they expect to. But other than that, I think it's just some long-term issues. And there are issues that important positions, offensive tackle, cornerback, are two of the most important positions that are not quarterbacks. But in terms of right now, in terms of what they could have done, offensive line and maybe another edge rusher. Right. I We mentioned linebacker, I think. What's great about what they did about at linebacker, John, they got three guys. Yeah, I mean, almost half of their picks were of in the draft were at linebacker, but all three bring different sets of skills and different uh, different facets to the defense and you can move them around and do different things. So I, I like that that element. In terms of the offensive line, which you did just a- addressed, I think we can all now agree that the offensive line is the biggest concern. I think they collect guards, they collect interior offensive linemen, and they play this shell game and they kind of say, okay, I, I like the idea. I have long wanted Bengals coaches and Marvin Lewis to breed the – element of competition right compete 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 you want that and the Bengals are doing that on the offensive line so in that respect I like that what I don't like is what what level of talent are you bringing in for this compete 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 mentality and I I worry about that I worry about the tackle spots you're putting a lot of eggs in the Jonah Williams basket granted I thought he was one of if not the better the best offensive line prospects in last year's draft. One of the cleanest, the arm length is obviously a concern, but you are now saying, okay, is he healthy? Is he going to be effective? He did. It's not like he played a little bit last year and and gave you glimpses. He kind of was in the non padded type of practices and say, Oh, you look good there, but that's not really anything. That's not not in preseason. So you're putting a lot of hope there, especially at the left tackle spot. I, I would like to think that, and I do believe he's going to be an effective player there, but it, it, it there is some hesitancy. Didn't really address, at least not a, a, at a high priority, the right side of the offensive line. So I want to ask you this and turn it into this question. There's a lot of, there are a lot of fans, both responding to us, talking in the live chat, talking on Twitter over the past couple of days. How worried are you for Joe Burrow with, with this offensive lineman? this offensive line group right so are, is is Joe Burrow the guy that you think can overcome and maneuver around potential pressure issues that may continue to linger into this season that have plagued the team over the past couple of years is he a guy that like the past couple of years when Joe Mixon was not able to find running room through the first half of each season is he able to overcome that in a and be a one-dimensional offense and still get wins, or is this going to be a, kind of a rough season maybe for the, for the rookie until the Bengals really make more heavy investments on the offensive line? That's the big question. I think people love Burrow. He's obviously this amazing prospect in many facets. At the end of the day, the majority of first-round quarterbacks, if they start the rookie season, most of them don't play well relative to league average. That's, that's just a fact of, of – that's just the fact of the of the matter. Yeah, Peyton Manning is like the most obvious, uh, you know, example right. of that. But you look down the line, like Andrew Luck and among other, you know, early round quarterbacks, they just don't do well if they're thrown out there in their first year. It's not it's not doesn't mean they're bad. I don't think Joe Burrow being 
you know, having a, an average or below average season would mean that he's going to be destined to be that for the rest of his career. But right now, like you look at the offensive line, the only one that you can have confidence in terms of, you know, what they are at the pro level is Trey Hopkins. And that's just, that's just your center. It's the least important position in terms of pass protection. You like what Joe and Williams was at Alabama. You hope that you, you would hope that he would come in immediately and be at least an average player, but rookie offensive linemen struggle as well. And that was another thing. Like, I, I understand. I was, you know, I was a proponent of the fact that you can't address everything in one offseason, especially when the roster was in the shape that it was. It, it's, it was hard to get a bunch of linebackers. It was hard to get a wide receiver, address cornerback in free agency, and and, and then get get offensive line. It was hard to do all of that in one season, and I didn't expect it to happen, especially because I didn't expect them to spend as much as they did in free agency. But also, if you're just going to put off offensive line until 2021, you have to realize that if you draft an offensive lineman in the first round next year, you can't count on him being an effective starter in his rookie year because it's also a, it's a tough learning curve for offensive linemen in the rookie year. It's basically you, you can go through every position and it's tough to rely on rookies being at least league average players in, in, in their rookie year. It, it's just tough to do. If they do, they're just above the expectation. Then you just take that surplus of value. So offensive linemen. Offensive line in general is, is is a position that I would have liked them to address this year so they can both get their warts, so they can both, Joe Burrow and the offensive lineman, can get their warts out of the way in the rookie year, and then you can focus on year two being that year where Burrow takes that jump into being the player that we expect him to be. I don't expect him to light the world on fire, especially because, you know, just coming off of a, of a you know, nearly a 6,000 passing yard, 60 touchdown season, the expectations are already a little too high, and I was a little bit worried of that right before the draft. But yeah, he's going to deal with pressures. He's going to deal with you know, you know, low pass blocking win rates at, at certain spots. And yeah, he showed a great propensity of of evading rushers and with incredible full work and create incredible creativity and eluding guys and escaping the pocket. The fact of the matter is, you know, the pass rushers in the NFL are just more athletic and they're more capable of finishing pass rushes and accumulating sacks and quarterback hits. So sometimes in college, Burrow was able to evade guys who were just maybe just not that athletic and don't have a future in the NFL. That's not necessarily going to be the case in, in the NFL. So he's going to run into some trouble with that. He's not going to have a perfect offensive line in front of him. He was already not going to have this incredible rookie season that maybe some people expected, but that's okay. That's the expectation. The expectation shouldn't be he's going to throw 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns this first year. That's just unrealistic, especially considering the lack of offensive line talent in front of him. The, the problem is it's tough to rely on young offensive linemen in general, and now they're just maybe a year behind in that development. The... The odds, if you're a if you're a betting man, or if you want to put some uh, over unders out there, the betting line. Uh, by the way, this is courtesy of uh, a gentleman, Pete Watt, who sent me some information recently. Betting books have uh, set the line for Joe Burrow's total passing yards at thirty eight hundred point five yards. So if he has thirty eight oh one, you will you will win if you bet. Depending on how you bet on that, I think the other touchdown bets were maybe in the mid twenties. So yeah, I mean uh, the it's not we're not you're not getting the forty two hundred yard projection in the first year for at least from a Vegas odds type of type of situation. But I love that you brought up you brought up a great point, John, about the inexperience of Jonah Williams, potentially a 2021 draft pick on an offensive line and how that whole thing could potentially not really coalesce until maybe two years down the line, if that's the route they're planning to go. And that segue just really hammers home why we're the best Bengals podcast around here. That's, that's why we do it. A um, lot of, lot of chalk, whether it's in 
the live chat, whether it's on Twitter, you mentioned it. I think our good friend James Rapine of Sports Illustrated talked about it. Jason Peters, is is this is this a viable and not just Jason Peters? Do you I guess do you expect the Bengals maybe along free agency, maybe a trade, maybe waiver wire after June one? At final cuts, is there a tackle out there looming potentially? Obviously, we don't know the name yet. But between those options, do you see them adding to the offensive line? Or are they going to stick to their guns and keep telling us, we like this group better than you do? I think they're going to like it until they don't like it. And that's just going to depend on what they <laughs> see when they first get out into the field. Like, right. honestly, if, if they realize that, okay, maybe these guys that we're betting on just haven't progressed in the way that they want to – they're going to have options being at the top of the waiver wire. And Jason Peters is still out there. I I, I tweeted out like right after the draft. Ended, I saw it. I think yeah. like the like a, a plan should be, you know, once you unload Dalton's contract, whenever that may be, or you you force him to take a pay cut in order to stay with the team, get get that salary cap space, at least make the call to Jason Peters. Because at this point, yeah, there, he's, you know, he's, he's an experienced veteran. He, 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 may, maybe, he may be too prideful to, to switch positions to go to the right side or maybe go to a team that isn't going to be in, in Super Bowl contention this year for his last year. Yeah, there's that factor. But at the end of the day, a paycheck's a paycheck. And right now, he's just not with any team. And that seems kind of insulting considering just how good he still is. Like, obviously, he doesn't have two or three years left in the tank. He may just have one more year. But the Bengals could use that year to make sure that Joe Burrow doesn't take more sacks than he needs to. And maybe they realize that, you know, if guys like Fred Johnson and, and Sua Filo or, or Michael Jordan, if they don't step up, you know, in, in the early parts of preseason – yeah, I think if they have a roster spot open, they're going to take advantage of that and look for the best offensive lineman on the market. That's the one position that we have to expect them to make any desperate additions. We've seen it in years past. Andre Smith, John Jerry were emergency signings at at, at those position at that position group that ended up playing significant snaps in the years that they were signed. So oh, tackle, yeah, right. So we 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 saw that in last year, and now we can see that again this year because they just didn't exactly solidify as much as most people expected them to do and maybe as much as they should have done. So I, I don't think they're done there. I think, you know, if they get something out of one of the undrafted guys that they get, fine. That's that's obviously a win. But until until they're proven right about their hopes and aspirations about this offensive line, it's going to be a question mark. I, I think that Peters is going to be a guy that's probably going to be picked up after practices commence. I hate to say this, maybe when injuries occur. Uh, he's just one of those guys that probably is going to be that emergency guy. Maybe he gets picked up pretty soon here as teams sift through their rosters, see what they did in free agency and the draft and say, hey, you know, we didn't we didn't really get the tackle we wanted. Maybe this is an option for us for a year or two. But I think he's a guy maybe that looks at, it, you know, it, it, so maybe off to the side until training camp, et cetera. I, I do agree with you. I think the Bengals will probably make a move. Uh, in terms of a waiver wire acquisition, it's just a matter of how much of a needle mover that acquisition is, right? It's it's Is it going to be a Fred Johnson level? I think a lot of people that uh, have watched a little bit of him and know a little bit of him are a little excited about the potential there. But when you hear heard about the signing, you know, I think a lot of people were like, well, that's not exactly what I was looking for. Um, so I think maybe the potential is maybe one of those type of guys that don't move the needle from a big picture standpoint, but I think it, it, I think they'll be adding someone. I, I I just do, and and trades could still be player trades could still be part of what what occurs here 
we'll see. Before we move on to the next topic, John, uh, what do you, what do you make? I mean, I'm not. I think it's too early to say, you know, win loss projection and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, is, is do you see this team maybe pulling a 2003, a 2009, a 2011 type of competitive year, or is this more a you know, maybe a, a 2006, which is a seven and nine season or so like 2016 or something like that where, yeah, you know, they'll win some games, but there's going to be some rough patches and we're looking maybe a year or two down the road for true competitiveness. It's all about thinking positive. And this is the first time in like three years that I think they're going to finish with a better record than they did last year. So that's <laughs> not going to be hard to do, but I, I, I think, I think I like five it. to eight wins is the appropriate expectation. Anything above 500, I think, is is exceeding expectations. It's, it's a major success. I think it's clo- the closer they get to 500, the more successful it is. Um, th- this division is talented. This division is loaded. It might be the best division when you're talking about quarterbacks, and that's just dangerous. And, and, and talking about, you know, how many teams from this division end up making the playoffs. Like, it's going to be crowded at the top. You have to respect the Ravens. They're, they're still the kings of the north. They still have the MVP. You have to think that Baker Mayfield's going to improve. You have to think that, at least for the time being, Ben's going to be healthy. If we want to be as positive as we're being about the Bengals, then we have to take that mindset with literally every other team, especially yeah. in the AFC North. This is a very talented division, and the Bengals are still tr- fighting to, to not be last. Um, I, I I don't think three or four wins is realistic. I think this roster is too talented. Even if they suffer injuries around Burrow, I think Burrow's just too good of a quarterback to you know have his team in a three or four win season. Even if he doesn't light the world on fire like a Kyler Murray did last year, five day wins I think is re- is a reasonable expectation. I think you you can't be mad with with any win total in the range of that. It's just all about growth this year. Like obviously they're going to say that they're, that they're competing for a Super Bowl as soon as they get Burrow, and that's fine. That that's good enough to get to get fans hyped. But uh, at like five five day wins, is my expectation. Well, that's where the dichotomy of a potential Jason Peters acquisition takes place, right? It's like, well, that's kind of a win now move uh, if you were to get a guy like that potentially. But you know, it, if it's only a year or, or so that you would get him, you know, uh, and you're kind of trying to set yourself up for 21, 22. I don't know. But anyway, I agree with you. I'd like to think that, you know, a really fun season is, is around the corner. And I, I think it is, but I think there might be, as was the case with 03. And I, if I remember correctly, 2011, I think there's going to be a rough stretch to start the season. There could be, you know, there, these are, there are a lot of new faces on this team, especially on defense, a lot of new faces there's not, we don't know what the off season is going to look like in terms of practices and these guys playing together and implementing schemes. We don't know because of the COVID crisis, what's going to happen there. So when you have rookies, you have a lot of new faces in general, and you have coaches that still are relatively inexperienced in their roles going into an off season where you don't know what the practice schedule is going to look like. That could, that could be a little daunting. You know, I, I do think that it, it may be a little bit of a slow start, but I think towards the end they'll gain some steam and I think they're going to turn some heads. I don't think that that's really going to be a playoff spot as of this point, but stranger things have happened. I, I, and again, like when you, when you're coming off of a two and 14 season, uh, a six and 10 or a seven, nine season, that can still be fun. You can still have moments right. where you're thinking back, like, like there were parts of the season that were enjoyable to watch. You're going to get 
at least some, you know, tremendous games out of Burrow if, if, you know, he has enough receivers to throw to. And it's just all about expectations. If you're expecting this team to make the playoffs just because of the free agency period and the fact that they got a rookie quarterback, I think you're just expecting a little bit too much considering the strength uh, of this division, the fact that they were last in the last year. It That, that 2011 year was an anomaly. It, it, I, I'm not going to say that it was warranted that the Bengals were projected to pick first the, the next year, uh, you know, after that offseason. But I, I definitely don't think – I don't blame anybody who didn't think they were going to make the playoffs that year. I just think if you're going to look to that year as an example, I think you're setting yourself up for failure or just disappointment. A- anywhere, you know, slightly under 500, I think, would be a, a significant sign of growth and will be enough to, you know, have momentum going into 2021. Agreed. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Shear and I'm Anthony Cazenza. We've been talking about the roster construction post-draft, post-free agency for the Cincinnati Bengals and what it means going forward, at least for 2020. We know they set themselves up pretty well for beyond 2020, but what does it mean in the immediate future? We've talked about that. We've talked about the class of undrafted free agents and seven draft picks that the team brought in who could impact them the most. We appreciate you tuning in, whether it's live, whether it's on the, whether it's after the fact, on our podcast channel, the Cincy Jungle podcast channel that includes this show, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, and Orange is the New Black, the podcast from Ace Boogie and Zim Hude. They will be interviewing Khalid Kareem later this week, so check that out. And I think Matt Minnick's got a film session coming up uh, regarding Joe Burrow and plays coming to the Cincinnati Bengals offense, so keep your eye out for that. That'll be on our YouTube channel as well, so we appreciate all the support. Usually I save this for the mic drop type of thing, and we're not there yet. We're almost there. We've got one more segment. But I do want to say this real quickly. We've seen, and maybe you've heard me say it over the past couple of of shows, but we've seen record number of downloads, highest in terms of a, a single show being downloaded, both on our YouTube channel and our audio channel, amount of unique listeners, amount of downloads per month we are seeing thousands of downloads on average per day per day and it's not just this show it's the shows that i mentioned as well it's all of our shows but thousands of downloads per day on our youtube channel and our audio channel we thank you for all all of the support and hopefully hopefully that sign a sign of more things to come coming out but uh, i had to say that before we talk about our next topic, John. You're, you're cracking up about something. Am I? Do, do I got a, a boogie hanging out, or what, what's going on? No. And before I move on, I have to address a comment. This might might be my favorite comment that I've okay. got on the show uh, from Paul Estep in the YouTube. As usual, completely disagree with John. Guess it's because he's a kid. If you, you, if you think it, you, you if, millennial. If you, if you think it's because if you think that's worthy of disagreeing, you haven't even heard of the next topic that we're going to talk about. Oh, I, can, I mean that—that that is just the setup of all setups. Is that an okay boomer moment right there, John? Is that what what, what warrants that, or is me even I saying mean, okay like boomer? He, he could okay also boomer. be a millennial. <laughs> he could also be a millennial. I don't know. I can, I couldn't tell by his picture. Right. Right. Well. All right. So let, let's just dive into it. I guess. Um, a, a couple days or yesterday. Um. I went on Twitter, basically posted a bunch of the research that I did about this draft class using primarily um, my, my favorite draft guide every year. It's Jim Coburn's football analytics draft guide has a bunch of stuff that not a lot of people are really accustomed to. It's a lot of it's it's entirely data driven. Um, it, it's projections based on entirely data. He allows for projections based off of film and other stuff. But this just gives you a data profile of basically every football player that's entering the draft. 
And I went through all the Bengals draft picks, compiled, you know, all their data and how it meets with certain expectations. That, that That's literally his whole thing. He compiles data that tells you if a guy's production and athleticism meets within multiple all-pro status, multiple Pro Bowl status, and long-term starter status. So I basically went through for all draft picks and wrote a quick synopsis of each draft pick based on what their data looked like. The one on T. Higgins got a lot of traction online, and um, I mentioned started blowing up for the wrong reasons. So I'm just going to read the excerpt that I wrote for T. Higgins. Higgins passes the starter threshold for production and athleticism, but doesn't have production that exceeds the multiple all-pro multiple Pro Bowl or starter level average and doesn't have an above average athletic trait. Despite his youth and size, he would have to become an outlier to develop into a multiple Pro Bowl receiver. Given his tape and fit with Burrow, however, him becoming a starter is not a bad bet to make. I thought that was politically correct enough to post online and not having people react about it. Unfortunately, I was wrong and a lot of people got really upset at me calling T. Higgins a long-term starter at best. For starters, I just want to get this also out there. From 2003 to 2015, Marvin Lewis drafted a little over 170 guys, 170 players. 28 of them became long-term starters. Long-term starters are guys technically that start 64 games, but I just put it out there as guys who were primary starters for their team or the Bengals for at least four years. 28 of those guys out of 178, that's 24%, became long-term starters. That's a top 76 percentile draft pick. So calling a guy a long-term starter at best is not an insult in any way, right. shape, or form. That's a successful pick. On average, Mike or excuse me, Marvin Lewis, two of every seven picks became long-term starters. If the Bengals have two or three long-term starters in this draft class, it's a successful draft. And I think they have the chance to get multiple long-term starters in this draft, not just with T. Higgins, with the linebackers, with potentially Khalid Kareem and Hakeem Adeniji. I think they all have chances to become long-term starters if the opportunity is right. So calling T. Higgins a potential long-term starter is not a negative. Would you agree with that, Anthony? I agree with that sentiment for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I for some reason, I don't know why, but I, I just kind of looked him up a little bit. I, I think to like Plaxico Burris, Right, a guy that not a perennial Pro Bowl guy, not a guy that you know is is going to head have the mustard jacket or anything like that, but a guy who played in the league for double digit years, had a handful of seasons of I think a couple of them were a thousand yards, but a productive player, a guy who was a starter for a lot of teams, and the teams were successful because of his because of his play, but not an all star in the league, so by your logic and what you're potentially saying about T Higgins, if T Higgins becomes a Plaxico Burris, I'd be pretty stoked on that. Exactly. So again, long-term starter is not a bad, it's not a bad career. It's not a bad pick, especially in the second round, but let's just focus on T Higgins here for starters. I really like T Higgins. I like his film, the Bengals. I think including that synopsis, I, I said that I love his film. Basically everything that he does as a receiver, I really like. Just, just as a laundry list here for his size, his great quickness off the line of scrimmage. He has great, great suddenness out of his breaks. That's really rare to see from a guy who's 6'4", 216, you would think would be more lumbering as an athlete. He's got hands to break the press. You, you cannot press him at the line of scrimmage. He creates separation immediately. He has a surprising second gear on vertical routes. He's able to stack cornerbacks with handwork on, on those vertical routes. He has great spatial awareness, body control, high pointing ability as a jump ball receiver. 
and he's a natural hands catcher. And even for a guy, you know, even for a guy who maybe not be a burner necessarily, he's hard to tackle. He forced 12 missed tackles last year. And I think according to PFF, that was in the top eighth percentile. So on the field, he looks the part. He looks the part of a talented receiver. And that bodes well for fulfilling whatever potential he has on paper. And he, he, and it's not it's not like he has bad you know per, uh, analytics or data either. He just turned 21. That bodes well for his long term potential. He's a young he's a younger guy. Guys who typically last long in the NFL or have successful careers, they came into the NFL really young. He passes the side like he's a, he's an extremely big receiver. Being big helps. It's not like it doesn't. He can he can outwin a lot of you know jump ball situations because he's just naturally bigger than the cornerbacks. Being 6'4", 216 with 34 inch arms is not a bad thing. And also from a production standpoint, uh, in, in certain contexts, he matches perfectly with what this offense needs. You know, on twenty yard, on throws twenty yards down the field, Joe Burrow had a PFF grade of ninety nine point three. T Higgins is great on targets of twenty yards down the field, ninety four point five over the past two years. Over the past two years, he had elite grades against tight coverage and a fifty three point five percent contested catch rate. For what this offense needs, for for a fit. In a Joe Burrow-led offense, I think T Higgins is an, is an ideal fit. And also, there's an obvious connection with the coaching staff. He was a Bengals fan. He idolized AJ Green. He modeled his game around him. There's a lot of things to like about T Higgins fulfilling his potential. The problem, though, is his potential. The the the, the I'm just saying it out loud. Like objectively, if this guy becomes a Pro Bowl receiver, he would be probably an outlier. And that's because, for starters, his productivity. While he met minimum thresholds at the starter, All Pro, and Pro Bowl level. He didn't necessarily hit the averages at those levels. You can look back to 1969. This, that, that's how far back this data goes. It doesn't matter about the evolution of the passing game. Market share data doesn't really change, even though, even though the offenses and the evolutions of college offenses change. High market share is high market share. That's how it's always been for the past 50 or so years. So while he met the minimum thresholds, he, he didn't meet the average thresholds. And typically, guys who last long and have you know successful careers, they were in the upper... 80th percentile in terms of production from a market share standpoint. And I, I, I've gotten a, a lot of, you know, player comparisons to T Higgins. And I just want to name four of them off the bat. For starters, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, there's an obvious Clemson connection. Um, he's a similar athlete to stuff like that. At 20 years old in his third year Clemson with Martavis Bryant and Sammy Watkins on the field at the same time, DeAndre Hopkins had 33.6% of Clemson's passing yardage. Another, another comparison, Anquan Bolden, very similar athlete, wins in similar ways. Back in 2002, when Anquan Bolden was 22 years old, that was also his third year in college. He had, he accounted for 34% of Florida State's passing yards market share. Another comparison I saw, Preston Williams, the guy who just came out of Colorado State last year. He had a successful career or a successful season in Miami last year. Um, very Maybe the most similar in terms of an athletic profile, but at Colorado State, when he was 21 years old, his third year in college, he accounted for 37% of Colorado State's passing yardage. And finally, the, comp, the, the comparison I've seen most is AJ Green. And while AJ Green never had a thousand yard season at Georgia, when he was 21 years old in his second year of college, he accounted for 31% of Georgia's passing yardage market share. T. Higgins' best year from a market share standpoint was 27%. That was when he was 20 years old in his third year. Uh, so, and you might be thinking to yourself, you know, 27%, that's not that far away from the 30% threshold. It, it, even if it's not, it still didn't meet it. it, it it's, it's, it's a projection. And I'm not saying that if T. Higgins stayed behind, for his senior year to be 21 years old in that offense, he wouldn't be able to hit 30%. And I know, you know, somebody pointed out to me that uh, when, when, when only Trevor Lawrence was on the field and throwing passes, he accounted for 32% of Trevor Lawrence's market share. And that context is nice, but just because, you know, these guys are Bengals now doesn't mean we can make special cases when we have decades worth of data to make, you know, objective 
analysis. And that's only the production side. When you come to the athleticism side, you know, the, the official pro day numbers, he ran like a four, five, eight, 40, jumped 121 inches on the broad. And I think 31 inches on the vertical. That's the stuff we have to work with. That speed score and that ex explosion score, they were both below average in, in, from, for wide receivers ever since they started recording athleticism data in 1998. No wide receiver who had ever became a multiple pro bowler or a multiple all pro or the vast majority of them, they all had at least one high uh, above average athletic trait. So th that's not me saying that T. Higgins' athleticism is going to hurt him because I'm just looking at random numbers. That's, that's me saying based off of over 20 years worth of athleticism data, just only a handful of, of wide receivers ever became a pro bowl or all pro player with, with without an above average athletic trait. So in conclusion, since 1969, there were 168 receivers drafted in the second round of the NFL draft. 62 became long-term starters. 19 became multiple pro bowlers. Three became multiple all pros. So if you want to say, based off of your own sub subjective you know, analysis, that T. Higgins is going to be a top 11% second round pick of receiver going against all the data that says he isn't, that's fine. You can make that bet. I'm saying that it's more likely that he, that he becomes a long-term starter. And that's not a bad pick. That's still a top like 67 or 63% percentile draft pick for the second round. That's still a successful career. That's not saying a bad thing. That's not being negative. If T. Higgins becomes a long-term starter for the Bengals, that's a successful pick. You look at some other recent picks that the Bengals made, William Jackson III, Tyler Boyd. Those guys are more likely they're just going to be long-term starters in the league. They're both really talented. They're both going to be successful. They're successful Bengals picks. If T. Higgins is in that, is in that same category, that's a successful pick. Calling him you know, unlikely to be a pro bowler is not saying that T. Higgins is a bad player. I think he's going to have a successful career for the Bengals. But I'm just telling you, interpreting this data in the best way that I can, the odds of him becoming a multiple pro bowler is, is really unlikely. And I think people just have to understand that. Well, that's, and that's to be quite honest with you and, and to our listeners, that's why it's great having you on the program, John, because you are more adept with some of those, some of the data side, some of the data side of things than I am. Um, I, I've, you know, I dive into that stuff and I adhere to a lot of it. And I, I think that you, you know, obviously you've done quite a bit of research and it's very impressive. You might as well have just got a master's degree in, in something. That was, a, that was a thesis statement, my friend. Uh, so, you know, and, and the reason we bring this up is there are a lot of elements of what you just said that I agree with. There are a lot of elements, and, and I, especially the sentiment that not calling T. Higgins a potential pro bowler based on the metrics isn't a slight. I mean, I guess in a way it is, but you're not you're not presenting it as this this player isn't good. That's not that's not the presentation. The presentation is good player. Analytics say probably that's the ceiling. Not excellent player. Not a DeAndre Hopkins, and he would be an outlier to the to the rule. My thing, and I always this is why I question, and I love PFF. Props to Austin Gale who came onto this program. I love I love the metrics. I use quite a bit of the PFF metrics. I know a lot of fans like it. And by the way, Evan McPhillips, another guy we want to give a shout out to. He's been on this program, entertaining guy who gives out a lot of great information. Go follow him on Twitter. Look, my thing is sometimes you got to question the analytics. And sometimes you got to question, well, you know, what causes the outlier? What are the elements that aren't measurable? that can cause what you're saying to not be the case. Maybe T. Higgins 
becomes a perennial Pro Bowler, an All-Pro, and maybe even has an, a more outstanding career than A.J. Green. I want to ask this, and I guess I'll kind of start here. The, you, you've been talking about the market share. What? How do you see that potentially translating to, and, and maybe I'm off bat, base with this question a little bit, but how do you see that potentially translating in terms of, you know, as it stands, T. Higgins' market share with the Cincinnati Bengals is probably going to be a bit lower because of A.J. Green being back on the roster, potentially healthy, Tyler Boyd, all that. What about an increased market share over time where he be, he ascends to be the, the number one target on the team and then the market share potentially goes up? How does that – in what ways does that affect some of the data points that you're bringing up? Well, I, I think it's a similar case when you watch him in college. Like, I, I think objectively, like, we can say that T. Higgins was a 1A, 1B option in that offense, right? It, yeah. was, it was him and Justin Ross who took the, the, the lion's share of, of that production. And and then you're saying to yourself, okay, well, that's why T. Higgins didn't produce at a high level in terms of relative to the overall team. But that was never an excuse for any other receiver that ended up being successful in the NFL. And, you, and there were there have been some outliers who were in some cases like that. But again, if we want to make you know these cases with just players that were drafted by the Bengals, then we have to make these cases for players that were drafted by the Steelers, players that were drafted by the Ravens. It's just about being as, as objective as possible. When you're talking about now with the Bengals, now you have an offense with five receivers that are worthy of being targets on, on a on a snap or snap basis. Mm -hmm. You're not expecting T. Higgins immediately to come in and be your number one receiver. You hope that in you know years time with you know a few years developing under green that he can develop into an option where you're going up against your number one cornerback and you're you're getting eight to ten targets a game but if, if he develops into a receiver that takes the bulk you know share of, of his yardage for you know passing offense that that would be a, a major success based off what he was in college so there's an opportunity for him to become that but again it, it's it's projection and i know a lot of people are mad at me right now because no one wants to hear this right after the draft or nobody wants to like this is this is what we do. This is this is how we have to analyze these. Well, things. Like, it's not about unfortunately, this is why he fell to the second round. If he's a if he's viewed as a first round talent, that, that's exactly right. That's that's exactly it, it, like if he was this player that was comparable to AJ Green, he would not have lasted into the second round. It, it's not it's not the fact. It's not even primarily from the fact that he wasn't he didn't test it at a high athletic rate. I don't know if a lot of teams adopt you know the the philosophy of measuring 40 times the vertical jumps to just density because that's honestly a, a more accurate way of looking at it. But at the end of the day, T Higgins was just one of the major options at Clemson. He wasn't the top dog and he doesn't have that upper tier athleticism that you would say that would develop into a high quality talent. So let's, let's go on and we're going a little long. So we've got a few more minutes here, but let's talk about the non-measurable stuff, right? So I guess you've, I've seen people and I've thought about this too, but I've seen people as counter arguments bring up, Footwork, route running skills, catch radius, some of these things that aren't necessarily in. Now, I think with catch radius, you could go with hand size, arm size, all that kind of stuff, and that plays into, and obviously height, weight, that kind of plays into a catch radius type of thing. But some of these things, you know, the high pointing of a ball, the ability to come down with a contested catch, where that does not, there's not a measurable piece of data for some of that stuff and it seems as if this kid has a lot of that in spades right I mean he, he can come down with a ball 
we've showed you for about a minute the PFF score about deep ball play, and a lot of that is because underthrown ball, he'll come down with it. Um, he and so some of the things where you're talking about maybe a subpar forty time for an outside threat, maybe some of these athletic shortcomings, maybe the, maybe these are the things that elevate him into becoming the outlier, a perennial Pro Bowl player, an All Pro player. What do you say to that? I think there's there's valid points with that. I think those are things that you can't quant that you can't quantify, and therefore they become you, you you veer into subjective territory where it's said you can't measure it and you can't put it up against actual observable data that can give you you know certain trends and, and whatnot. And that all goes into the film grade. That all goes into the film aspect because I'm I'm not just someone who looks at the numbers and is just says this guy is only this. He can only be this. Like he, he has the potential to be a quality player and he has the potential to potentially become an outlier because of how good he is as an actual football player. That's why I led this topic with the things I like about him on the field, because everything that you just mentioned, that is the strength of his game. That's why he can become a quality starter. It's not like, it's not even a given that T Higgins is going to start for four years and play 64 games for the Cincinnati Bengals. That is not a given. Again, that is a high quality draft pick. I, I people just think that, you know, in this draft, oh, we got five or four starters in this draft. That's not a given. Like it, the odds are only two or three of these guys are going to be long-term starters. No matter how much we like these guys when they were first drafted, the odds of, of, of a player lasting more than four years in the NFL is just minimal. And those 28 or yeah, those 24, those 28 long-term starters that Marvin Lewis drafted, only two of those came outside of the first four rounds. So even guys like Khalid Kareem, Hakeem Adeniji, even Marcus Bailey, they're fighting against the odds to last long in the NFL. That's just how this works. It's not me hating on guys individually. It's just looking at what what the history of the NFL and the NFL draft tells us and how to basically realize our expectations. I think with Higgins, you look at a guy who has decent, not great data, but great film, and that is how yeah. he can live up to whatever potential that he has. I like T Higgins. I like him as a football player. I like him. I, 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 you, you could even say I love him with the Cincinnati Bengals. I think he's an ideal fit for what they look for in this offense. But I'm telling you, based off of the things that I evaluate with, with players every single year, with every single team, I'm telling you, your expectations have to be rationalized here. Yeah, I believe you gave the pick a, a, an A uh, on your grades, correct? Uh, I think uh, on CincyJungle.com, I think you gave it a, an A minus, A B plus, B plus, B plus. Okay. The overall, the overall grade was A, a minus. The T against grade was a B plus. There you go. So I mean, you still gave gave the team a pretty high mark for the for the pick there. So look, I, I agree with a lot of your points. I wanted to bring this up because you were kind of getting uh, bombarded a little bit on Twitter, and I think it is a con- bit of a controversial topic. And look, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I also look at some of the elements outside of what the data tells you. Like you said, I loved how you succinctly put great film, not great data, right? And right. so which which guy is he? Is he going to be the great film guy that supersedes what the data tells you and he's the outlier? Is he going to be the data guy where he's solid starter, plays for the Bengals and is effective player for a while, but not an absolute star in the league? Or is he somewhere in between, right? I mean, somewhere there's a convergence to some of that stuff. So that that to me is interesting. I mean, like I said, I, I am I do let data I, I do let some data drive my decisions and evaluations on players, but I also I'm also a guy that's caught flack, John, personally, because I'm a guy who believes in momentum. 
in a game. I'm a guy who believes in these non-quantic, uh, you know, the clutch gene, as I've, I've said before. Uh, these things where you can't, playing well in big moments, having guy, you know, these sort of things that you can't quantify, the, the it factor on, of some players. That is, so I, I get a lot of flack or have received a lot of flack over the years at Cincy Jungle for being a guy that believes in some of that stuff. And I've had to defend my position on that. So that's why we wanted to talk about this. All in all, number one, you can't expect the Bengals to not only draft Pro Bowl and or Hall of Fame wide receiver after Pro Bowl and or Hall of Fame wide receiver. It just doesn't normally happen like that. I think we've gotten a little spoiled between Ocho, between Hushmanzada, between, you know, AJ. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So you can't expect that, nor can you really expect multiple Pro Bowlers on the same team at the same position group year in and year out. I don't think that's a realistic expectation. But look, if Higgins is a con, if he's healthy, if he's a constant contributor and he resembles anything close to the college film, that's a great pick by the Cincinnati Bengals, especially at the top of the second round. And I think that is yeah. what you're trying to say. No, like he is a very good football player. And I think the things, like like you said, the intangibles, the things that you can't quantify, the things that are still a part of the, the evaluation. I, I, I'm watching a lot of Westworld right now. And right now in season three of Westworld, it, it's all about how data is driving people's decisions and how people are making, or, or people's career paths are being limited because of what the data says on them. And that me, that personally scares, that scares me a lot because that's something that could happen. And it's honestly something that I'm doing right now. I, I'm telling you that a person's likely future is predicated on what he's done in his past. And I'm saying like, you can't, that, that, that that's not the only thing that can drive your decisions. Even, even Coburn, the guy who compiles this data, this is like, this is what the data tells you, but it's not how you should finalize how you would rank these players coming out because not every, because there are oodles, there are numerous examples of guys with tremendous data that end up not doing anything in, in, in the NFL. It, it's, it's a projection, but it's not a, a finalized, you know, uh, fate. Or, or, or finalized future with a guy. If a guy doesn't develop in the way that he's supposed to, if he doesn't have the traits that allow you to win the NFL, he's not going to live up to his potential. With T. Higgins, I don't think that's the case. I think you have a guy that you're comfortable living up to whatever potential that he has. And if that potential, again, is a long-term starter, which he does have the likely data to become that, that is, once again, a successful pick at the top of the second round at the receiver position. Good stuff, John. T. Higgins looks like a promising pick for the Cincinnati Bengals, and his skill set seems to fit in well. But we had a nice little debate about uh, what the outlook could be, what the data shows on T. Higgins. But still, I think we are all pretty excited about that pick overall. Mm -hmm. Let's drop the mic and get out of here, John. We're we're going a little long. Where do you want to go? What do you want to yak at us before we get on out of here? Uh, I, honestly, I was, I was going to talk about that Westworld thing and because I, I didn't expect myself to dive into that right then and there, but yeah, it's kind of, I don't know, man. It's just, it just, it just made me think because that, that's how a lot of my mindset kind of works at, at these times when I'm evaluating draft, draft prospects, I'm, a dra I'm evaluating draft picks and their fits with the Bengals. And that, again, I just want to reiterate that, like you can look at this data and it's just all about how you interpret it. And it's all about how you projected the most based off of who the player is as a player on the field. And that's, that's just part of the evaluation. I just want to just reiterate that that's, that's still something that I value highly because if, if it's only, if the numbers are the only thing that you look at, you're not going to come away with accurate results. You still need to have an eye for the game. And I think that's what a lot of people in the comment section are telling me to have just judge based off what you see. 
Well, also, I want to get stuff right more than I want to get wrong. And I think as the NFL evolves into an entity where it values the data, the values the meaningful data, then they can make smarter decisions and the Bengals can be more competitive and not pick guys like Drew Sample in the second round. Westworld. Westworld's kind of like, uh, what's that one, Black Mirror? Or uh, is it kind of kind of similar? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's. It, I've been wanting to watch that show. I don't have HBO though, so I gotta. I gotta. I don't uh, live the ritzy life like you, my friend. I gotta. I gotta. Maybe I'll steal your your HBO Go password or something like that. I probably shouldn't say that publicly, but um, I won't. I'm kidding. Uh, my mic drop. We've talked very very little about Joe Burrow. I was sent. Recently, it just and this is real brief. It's a video. We didn't do a soundbite of the week this week, but real briefly, I wanted to share this. This is just something that shows a little bit about the character of Joe Burrow. It's brought to to us by Lowe's. Um, we uh, hopefully Joe Burrow. I don't want to promise anything, but hopefully he'll be a a uh, guest on our show at some point in the near future. We're working on some avenues for that, but. Uh, we were sent this by some of his representatives, and it is uh, something from Lowe's, just kind of him talking to some people in the community and, and doing some work. I thought this was a, a really neat thing and, you know, just something to be excited about, not just the on-the-field stuff from Joe Burrow, but uh, the other stuff, the, the guy that really is trying to be a, a face for the state of Ohio and its football team. So I'm going to share this with you, and then we will get on out of here. Hopefully this ends up working um, and I'll play right now. This is too cold, dude. Yeah, I just want to call and say thanks for all you're doing right now. You know, we're all cooped up at home. You guys are out working super hard for us, so we appreciate it. I'm down here, you know, we're all mentally and physically strong, so we'll yeah. persevere. We'll get through this. Well, I just wanted to call and say thanks. Well, we have a lot to thank you for, too. You're welcome. Thank you for everything you do for this part of the country. I see you're a veteran. I am. I was in the Navy. I worked with Lowe's for about eight years now. I'd be happy to host you and your family at one of my games this year. What? That would be great. That would be absolutely crazy. Great meeting you, and thanks for all you do. That's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> this will be something that I'll never forget as long as I live. A little bit choppy there, I apologize. Uh, some of the streaming issues there, but um, you get the point. Uh, doing some cool things and helping out some of those people working on the front on the front lines there. I apologize, yeah, I saw some of the, the buffering. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but you get the point, and I think most of it came through there pretty well. Great guy, great kid, and uh, he just gets it. Right, John? Yeah, that was, that was really cool. I think that came out a couple of days before the draft. I actually... I've driven past that that um that Lowe's in Athens. I think that's where the employees were. There was, there was like a Lowe's there, as a Walmart, about a couple miles outside of uh, the university. I've just been in Athens. Like the the, the things you heard in in Burroughs Heisman speech, they're mar are largely true. You drive around that surrounding area, and it's you know you can you can see the the impoverished areas, and you can see the type the types of communities that Burrow is referring to. So just to see him continue to reach out to, to those people that, you know, live a couple miles from him. It's, it's really cool to see. And I hope that his impact makes, 
you know, a tangible impact on the, on that community and that region, because it's a region that is important to me. It's important to a couple other people that are important in my life and to see it grow under his leadership and influence would be fantastic to see. Yeah. And really it's just carrying the baton from what a, what a great community guy Andy Dalton was and is, um, you know, just, uh, just a kid who gets it and, um, you know, he's in a major leadership role, high profile kid, obviously being the number one pick, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion, et cetera. So uh, we wanted to share that with you again, a little bit for the buffering stuff there. But uh, I think for the most part, it came through pretty clear. And hopefully if you hadn't seen that before, you get a little glimpse of, of Joe Burrow. This has been the episode, the newest episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, YouTube. Get our YouTube channel. And uh, all the stuff is on CincyJungle.com. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to get out of here. See you next time. Hey.